0: Last Monday night, our country saw the University of Alabama win the national championship. I want to talk about the school's most valuable player. I'm not talking about anybody from the football team. I'm talking about an 88-year-old teacher named Authoron Lucy Foster. You know her story? In 1956, Authoron Lucy Foster came to the University of Alabama for graduate school She had earned her undergrad degree from Miles College, a historically black school. She wanted a graduate degree for her teaching career, and she believed that the University of Alabama was the best school in the state. Alabama admitted her until they found out that she wasn't white. And then they rescinded their admission. Authorin fought it in court with the help of future Supreme Court Justice Thurgood Marshall, and she won. So on the first day of school, she goes to class, and rioters, the KKK, other students, and townspeople all screamed and obstructed her way to class. They hurled every racial slur imaginable at her. Police officers were called in to protect her. And while in class, she heard the crowds gathering outside, furiously chanting insults. And three days after she arrived, the university suspended her, saying that it was for her own safety. But Otherin still wanted a University of Alabama degree. So she went back to court and she won. But after the court overturned the suspension, the university then proceeded to expel her for allegedly badmouthing it by the points that she made in pursuing her legal case so she gave up and found work as a teacher until 1988 when the school voided their expulsion and authorin returned as a graduate student in the college of education and she received her master's degree in 1992, the same day that her daughter graduated from Alabama with a bachelor's degree. So, last September, the school decided to honor Authorin's life. And not far from the place on campus where her life was threatened, forcing her to leave the university, a monument unveiling ceremony was held. 61 years later, Authorin stood where that mob stood, this time behind a podium. And she looked into the faces of supporters and behind her a marker uh, with her name in bronze letters and with a smile in her voice, the 88-year-old educator said to those gathered, To the student body and all of you standing around, I want you to know that the last time I saw a crowd like this at the University of Alabama, (laughs) and those in attendance chuckled just like you did, and they applauded because they knew what she meant. She was a trailblazer. Um, Most of you might know Vivian Malone who was the first graduate um, African American graduate from the University of Alabama and most of you might recall that uh, just awful picture of uh, George Wallace uh, blocking her entrance Um, but you see Othron was the pioneer before the pioneer and um Before making her way back to her seat, she recited these words from Scripture. Authorin said, The Lord is with me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now, last Monday night's game, nobody gave it a second thought that three of the four captains for the Crimson Tide are African American. And few from last Monday night's game might remember that Alabama first admitted African Americans in 1961. And even fewer would recall that Authoran started it, see? And her life reminds us that there are champions and then there are champions. Her story touches the question of our text today. The question, what does it mean to be human? And Psalm 8 answers that question. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to the Old Testament book of Psalms. If you just take your Bibles and just open it to the middle, most likely you'll find the book of Psalms. And I'd like you to turn to Psalm 8. That's on page 450 of your church Bibles If you don't have a copy of God's Word to call your own, I would like for you to take the copy in front and uh, put your name in it and and take it home as a gift from the church. Psalm 8 deals with the dignity and nobility of human life. It's wonderful questions. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him? Follow along with me as I read. To the choir master, according to the getith. Now, what is that? That's a Hebrew-stringed instrument. A psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is God's word. So can you hear the question in this psalm, what does it mean to be human? Psalm 8 speaks to the value and significance of human life. This is a worldview passage of Scripture. This is a passage of Scripture that really challenges us to think clearly about what we believe about this world and about reality itself. So do we possess a supernatural orientation about life and this world? Do we believe that this world was created by an all-loving, all-wise, all-powerful God? Or do we just believe that this world was randomly and and without God appeared? and, And that therefore the human body is nothing more than just the sum of its parts. You're just simply a machine. You're the sum of your body parts. We're talking worldview here. Oliver Wendell Jones, uh, excuse me, Oliver Wendell Holmes, Jr., a Supreme Court Justice of the United States once asserted, I see no reason for attributing to man a significance different in kind from that which belongs to a baboon or a grain of sand. Supreme Court Justice said that. That's about the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) Church, ideas have consequences. And are we to really believe that this is just a closed system and that we're just physical matter alone, and I live, I breathe, and then I die, and that's it. Psalm 8 declares otherwise. Psalm 8 declares that we matter to God. And because we matter to God, we must see our lives and our bodies, our ethnicities, our very selves, our gifts, our talents, We need to see ourselves the way God sees us. and Because we matter to God, then we must matter to one another. And that affects how we think and how we speak and how we respect each other. We treat the opposite sex with dignity and nobility, not as objects of perverted sexual satisfaction. And we care for the vulnerable, the aged, the disabled, the voiceless, children both in and out of the womb. Psalm 8 teaches that in order to master the question, what does it mean to be a human being? Who am I? Before we answer that question, we must master a prior question, and that is, who is God? Because you can only learn to say human being when you've learned to say God. And so David starts with God. Psalm 8, look, begins and ends with God. Verse 1 and verse 9. The exact words, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Everything about ourselves and about our world can be understood only within the boundaries of God's majestic name, whose glory is above all. Pastor H.B. Charles, Jr., who preaches in Jacksonville, says Psalm 8 does not explain the dignity and dominion of man to boost our self-esteem. It seeks to boost our God-esteem. And so on a clear night under the Judean skies, King David must have contemplated the vastness of this universe. He was Staggered by creation's enormity. When he wrote in verse 3, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. David just saw this with his eyes. He didn't have the technology that we have to fully appreciate what he wrote in Psalm 8. I mean, we have the Hubble telescope. We have the Voyager spacecraft. Does anybody remember the Voyager spacecraft? Are you old enough to know? On September 5th, 1977, I see that hand. Yeah, there's only two of us old enough to know anyway. So, anyway, that's that depresses me. Anyhow, NASA sent two robotic space probes uh, and they have been speeding away from Earth. And Voyager 1 is 13 billion miles from Earth and Voyager 2 is almost 11 billion miles from earth and i mean you can actually if things get slow here in the message over the next few minutes you got kind of to get on your smartphone and you can you know dial up nasa and uh, you know just uh, i'll just tell you how to do it It'd go to go to uh, to uh, nasa and then voyager and then you can go up on their homepage and and i mean the miles are just clicking away how far these probes are 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 away from the sun and how far they are away from earth and um Just five years ago, so it took 35 years for Voyager 1 to enter interstellar space just outside of our solar system. I mean, it's mind-boggling. Listen, at the speed of light, it takes 19 hours for a signal from NASA to reach Voyager 1. When I look at your heavens, David says. I I mean, I'm going to short-circuit your brains here. So, I want you to imagine the Milky Way, the Milky Way galaxy, being the size of the North American continent, all right? And you get how it's structured. There's our planet, our planet's in a solar system, and our solar system is in a galaxy, okay? So, I want you to imagine... Our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, being the size of the North American continent. You got it? When I say get it, you say got it, I'll say good. Get it? Good. Planet, solar system, galaxy, Milky Way galaxy, size of the North American continent. On that scale, this coffee cup is our solar system. Okay. Oh, and thanks to the Hubble telescope, There's 200 billion of these in the Milky Way galaxy. Oh, and thanks to the Hubble telescope, there's two trillion galaxies, okay? I mean, I feel like Mr. Scott on Star Trek. Captain, I can't give you no more. about ready to blow a circuit here, right? Wow. And yet, look at verse 3. David calls all of this the work of your what? Fingers. Not the work of your mighty right arm. The work of your fingers. Huh? I mean, as if the two trillion galaxies were the size of this wristwatch, two trillion galaxies, the size of this wristwatch, and God's fingers were working on it. And think about that. If this wristwatch is the universe, and within the universe Uh, are two trillion galaxies. And within our galaxy are 200 billion solar systems. And one of those solar systems, there's our planet. And then within that, there's you and me. Who is God? Big. Big. Which makes him the subject of Psalm 8, you see. Even though the question is, what does it mean to be human? God is really the subject of Psalm 8 because God governs his creation and God is intricately involved with his creation and God sets his glory on high and God rules over the heavens and God displays his strength and God silences his enemies and God is mindful of us and God calls us and crowns us and assigns us and bestows us and endows us and this is our God. This is our, And this God whose fingers worked on our universe, this God put on human flesh, was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, by adding humanity to his deity for our sake. Preeminent glory moved to a lower place for us in the weakness and vulnerability of babies and infants. Verse 2, God in Christ defeated the enemy, the evil one. This is who we worship, church. Question, is this the kind of person you ask into your life to be your assistant? I'm thinking of that author who said, does anybody have the foggiest idea what sort of power we blithely invoke? The churches are children playing on the floor with their chemistry sets, mixing up a batch of TNT to kill a Sunday morning. It's madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews. For the sleeping God may wake someday and take offense, or the waking God may draw us to where we can never return. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And verse 3, that phrase, the work of your fingers, that implies craftsmanship. You see, Genesis 1 differs from the other ancient pagan creation accounts. Other pagan accounts reveal creation as the outcome of some celestial battle of the gods, but not Christian theism. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God. And, and to read Genesis 1, you see the structure, and it's a poem. And what is a poem? A work of art. Creation is a beautiful poem defined by the Creator. And this, God created you. You and I are fearfully and wonderfully made. The apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians, we are God's workmanship. Literally, we are God's poema, poem, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's who God is. And we need to get that question down. And when we do, then we can proceed to question number two. Who who are we? Who am I? And David does that, right? What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him. The King James Version puts it, the son of man that you visit him. You have made him a little lower than Elohim. Heavenly beings, angels. The word can mean heavenly beings, angels, or God. You've made him a little lower than God. That is, this verse affirms that humans, all humans, not just King David, not merely Israel, but all humans have been made in the image of God. We are icons of the Almighty. The very image of God, as God creates, as God rules, as God speaks, as God names, as God orders, as God establishes variety and beauty, as God enjoys relationships. To be made in His image means that we are endowed with the ability to create and to rule and to name and to speak and to establish and to think and to contemplate and to relate and to rest and to, and to make moral choices. To be made in God's image means that we are God-oriented, we are other-oriented, we are cosmos-oriented, we are self-aware, self-conscious, self-conscientious, benevolent rulers at the behest of God. We are his love agents, vice-regents over creation. Verses 6 through 8, you have given him dominion over the works of your hands, you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the paths of the seas. Our spiritual ancestors in Genesis, Adam and Eve, served as royal priests in the temple garden of Eden. What a privilege! That God would commission us with the responsibility to care for the works of his hands. And thank God that he has given us the ability to create the technology to build facilities and furnaces so that we can worship. (laughs) Yes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We're able to create furnaces, and, and, and six months from now, I'll be thanking you for the air conditioning. Yes, amen. <laughs> and so, so the point of our dominion is for the flourishing of worship. Not selfish plunder, but true community and adoration and our ours. Is to be a vocation of care and stewardship. Power is for the flourishing of creation, the administering of justice, the provision of protection. God wants us to rule what belongs to Him. Who am I? I am a steward. I am a trustee over the works of God's hands. They're your fingers, your hands. Your world, it's yours, God. And my best stewardship takes place within the boundaries of praise. Doxology, verses 1 and 9, flank dominion, verses 2 through 8. And whenever humans exercise dominion within the limitations of God's majestic name, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, then all is well. But to forget or neglect or reject the majesty and glory of God leads to the perversion of identity and power. And ideas have consequences. And the reason this world treats children the way it does and the reason this world treats women the way it does and the reason for ethnic strife from blacks, whites, Hutus, Tutsis, Japanese, Chinese, Israeli, Palestinian, Pakistani, Indy is that we live as if we are God instead of honoring the one true God. And Psalm 8 clearly says that you cannot glorify the majesty of God while treating his supreme creation with contempt. You cannot disrespect the disabled human and glorify the majesty of God. You cannot dismember the unborn human and glorify the majesty of God. You cannot disregard the aged human and glorify the majesty of God. You cannot gas the Jewish human and glorify the majesty of God. You cannot lynch the black human and glorify the majesty of God. You cannot objectify women and glorify the majesty of God. You cannot disparage an under-resourced country and glorify the majesty of God. You cannot worship and glorify the majesty of God while treating his supreme creation with contempt. Ideas have consequences. And to ignore who God is will pervert who we are. And to ignore God is to ignore who we are and what we are for. Have you heard of Samuel Beckett's play, Breath? Uh, it's 35 seconds long, right? And don't ask me if I have a 35 second sermon. <laughs> Not a chance. <laughs> Sermonettes make Christianettes. Samuel Beckett's 35-second play called Breath. Here it is. You see a faint spotlight on a pile of trash. You hear the cry of a baby. You hear inhaling. Then you hear gurgling. Then you hear the labored, heavy breathing of death. And then it's silent. And light's out. 35 seconds. Hmm. Ideas have consequences. So what is that? Well, the message is, you're trash. Life is trash. It's nothing but trash, and then it's lights out. And if there is no God, Samuel Beckett is exactly right. Because where are you going to find meaning if there's no God? Psalm 8 disagrees. Psalm 8 declares, your brain is not merely three pounds of gray matter. You're more than that. You matter to God. And this God who made the two trillion galaxies with his fingers... Put on human flesh. The Son of God who made the angels made himself a little lower than the angels. And why? So that he would suffer even to the point of death on a cross so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. He shared in the taking on of flesh so that by the weakness of death, He might still the enemy and avenger, destroying death so that he might be crowned with glory and honor. And that's what's behind verse 2. God is so strong that even his weakness confounds man's strongest strength. The oldest Christian commentary on Psalm 8 is the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9 but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone listen to me our dignity and our nobility come because we have been created and and we have been rescued. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of Psalm 8, who began a good work of putting all things under his feet. He has begun to complete it and is completing it through his spirit-filled people. So that makes us a Psalm 8 community, living within the boundaries Of, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And listen, this is so important. Psalm 8 is nestled in a series of psalms in several chapters before and several chapters after. There are psalms of lament A lament is a cry for help, is a cry for rescue, even a protest. Help me, deliver me, lead me, hide me, let me take refuge. God, why? But in the midst of these laments, there is Psalm 8, this song of praise, this song of hope sung by a congregation of hope David believes God no matter what. How is it that you remember me, God? How is it that you care for? How is it that you you sought to visit me, God? And we know why he did this. For love. For God so loved the world. The resurrected Christ, when he appeared to his disciples... He kept his scars. Why would he keep his scars? When we meet Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth, we'll see his scars. What is that about? That is about him saying, I kept my scars for you. I did this for you. I love you. The Lord is my life. The Lord is my strength. What can man do to me? And by his Spirit's strength, we live as his people, his babes and infants, proclaiming the foolishness of the gospel. But we know that the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man. And we know who this God is. His name is Jesus. And because we know who he is, we know who we are. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen.